Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. Uh, my name is Ryan. Uh, I'm pastor here. It's really great to see you all. It's really great to worship with all of you. Um, it's really great to come into this place with this expectation uh, that we're going to meet God and that we're going to be transformed by Him. We're currently in this series where we're looking at each of the values that we have as a church. Um, and it kind of fits in this larger perspective of where we feel like the Lord's leading us this year, telling God's story with everything that we are. And a good vision kind of invites us to reflect on certain questions. And the first one we want to look at is, well, who are we? Who are we to tell God's story and how do we go about telling that? And so going through the values of our church one at a time, in a way, is us talking about the dominant themes of how we go about telling God's story. And the first three values that we have, we call our theological values, and they're intimacy, identity, and purpose. Look at that. We've got these little icons that we've created. Uh, I love the purpose one. Many of you know we still have a colony of bees out back uh, of our church. If any of you know how to uh, procure honey from said bees, uh, get with me afterwards. I have a book that I have not read yet. Um, so we're kind of wrapping up these first three values, and there's a, there's kind of a, there's a divine flow to the way that we see this story playing out in Scripture in our own lives. By cultivating intimacy with Father God, we learn to inhabit our identity in Christ and discover our purpose as a Spirit-led church. There's this flow to the way that we see how God has ordained and orchestrated this plan uh, to, to re-engage creation, to bring it back into accordance with his purposes. And a lot of times what we find, sometimes in church communities, sometimes in culture around us, is this process, this flow, actually gets reversed and it becomes really unhealthy. And so it becomes something more like this. When we behave appropriately, we can earn a right to enter the household and eventually we can approach God. And so we've talked about um, intimacy, seeing God as our source. Uh, we've talked about identity, learning to allow the love of God to define who we are, not what we do. And today we're going to kind of wrap that up with the, the purpose piece. And, and again, we're using um, that story of the prodigal son to kind of frame this approach to these three values. Uh, so let's pray, and we're going to get right into this. Heavenly Father, we testify that you're here, uh, that you're with us and that you're for us, you're not against us. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for that core foundational truth upon which all other truths for us sit upon. Um, Lord, we're, we want to continue to pursue intimacy with you. We want to know you. We don't just want to know about you. We want to have these real, dynamic, lived-in experiences of who you are and the way that you lavish love on us. We want to allow that love to translate us, to define us, we want to be immersed in that understanding that we're your children, that we're your image bearers, and there's nothing that we can do that will change your attitude toward us. And today, Lord, we really want to hone in on our purpose that when we really understand who you are and who we are because of your love, um, out of that place, you've called us to do something. You've called us to action. And that action is not our way to earn your love, uh, but it's a natural outpouring of receiving your love. So be with us, Lord. We know that you want to speak to so many here 
both individually and for us as a community. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so our purpose is to care for our father's estate. Kind of putting in the language of the prodigal son, our purpose. I believe that we all have one purpose as a human species. We see this reflected in the story of Adam and Eve, which even last week we were looking at. There's some beautiful parallels with the story of the prodigal son, that God creates Adam and Eve. He places them in this garden, and then he gives them a job. He gives them a task. He says, be fruitful and increase in numbers. Subdue the earth. That word is kind of difficult, but he's saying, I've given you authority over the earth. I want you to take care of the estate, of the household. Now we see in in, uh, Jewish theology and in some forms of Christian theology, there was this inherent understanding that actually the whole earth is God's estate, or to say the whole earth is God's temple. And what happened for a lot of us in the Western church is God's house actually was relegated to a building. That's where God lives, and by extension, everything else is kind of up for grabs. But we find in this Jewish theology, this inherent understanding, no, this is all part of God's household. We see that kind of picked up very naturally in Celtic Christianity, that it's all part of God's house, and we're all called to that same divine vocation. We have the same purpose as Adam and Eve, that we're called to be caretakers of the household of God. And so when we begin to look at the story of the prodigal son, we see these two approaches in both of the brothers of a misaligned understanding of their purpose within the household. Because some of us are called to work inside of the house, and some of us are called to work in the fields. But it's understanding where that purpose comes from that really determines how we approach the father. So we see, first of all, in the younger son, when he comes to the father and he asks for inheritance, he's saying, I want all of the benefits of being your son, but I don't want any of the work. I don't want any of the responsibility. In fact, I want to go and I want to pursue my own things and I want to be a self-made man. I want to determine my own purpose in life. And so he goes out and the story says that he kind of follows all of his dreams and he kind of ends up penniless. And not only that, but he has to take up a job in a pigsty. And he kind of turns in desperation, turns his eyes back towards uh, his homeland, back towards his father's house. And he begins to think of his worth in terms of function, doesn't he? He starts to say, well, I'm not worthy of being called the son anymore, but maybe I can go back to my father's house. Maybe I can perform better. Maybe I could just do better. Maybe I can do more work, and at least I could be a servant in his household. At least my, my safety and security will come in just doing a job for him. And so, as we said, the son produces the solution to his own problem. You know, this problem of disconnect, of disintimacy. The solution the son comes up with is, I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to come, and I'm going to be dutiful, and I'm going to work. And of course, we looked at last week when he comes with this understanding that his value is in his performance, his father in love kind of bats that aside and says, you're defined because of the love that I have for you, not because you've performed or behaved appropriately. But we also see this crisis of identity in the older son, thinking that his function in the household is his value. Because when he hears the party going on in the household, he comes in and he confronts the father and he says, I've done everything right. I never left. I never demanded the inheritance from you. I've been out in the fields working hard, trying to earn my place in your household, trying to earn the seat at the table. Why don't you recognize how hard I've been working? 
Because in a strange way, much like the younger son, the older son thinks his value to the father is based on being a contributing member of the household, of being a functional part of the family. And it's so key that what the father says to the older son speaks to his misunderstanding of his identity. He says, my son, everything I have is yours, and you're always with me. And we talked about last week how, you know, the parable so beautifully, Jesus does not give us the succinct answers, but he, he leads us right up to the edge. Will the younger son accept the love of the father and come back home? Will the older son come back into the house and embrace his brother or allow his indignation to keep him from entering into the celebration, from entering into the feast? Because it actually challenges you and I to be reflective, to examine where do we place our identity. And because of where our identity lies, how do we really see our purpose? And so what I want to do is essentially um, define purpose and calling that I think a lot of times for us they're synonymous. But I actually want to pull them apart just a little bit um, to help us to gain a greater understanding of who we're called to be as the people of God, but within that, who we're called to be as individuals. And so purpose is universal, and calling is individual. I believe that our purpose um, for all of us is exactly the same thing. And it's spoken of in many different ways within scripture, within churches. Sometimes it's talked about as advancing the kingdom. Sometimes it's talked about as revealing Christ's love to the world. There's all these different ways in which we say it. But our purpose as the church is inherently universal. We all have the same purpose to reveal and to reflect God to the world around us. And in doing so, to manifest his glory. That's another really fun way of talking about our purpose. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. This is actually the New Living Translation because what we see in this translation is this kind of unified purpose but diverse calling. So he says God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so God has this singular purpose for the church, for his redeemed children, but he wants to display this wisdom in its rich variety. And that's when it begins to speak about our individual callings and helping to fulfill that purpose all um, overall. So the call, your calling is the specific way that you've been positioned to contribute to the purpose of God's people. And this is actually one of the biggest questions I get from people. I think it's very daunting to say, well, what is my calling? What's my purpose in life? Many of us have been raised with this understanding that we have one singular, clearly defined calling, and it's going to come at one singular, clearly defined moment. And if we're not awake to it, or heaven forbid, we're disobedient, we've missed it, and we've screwed the rest of our lives, and we may as well just give up. I actually had a friend that experienced this several years ago. Someone had given him a prophetic word about uh, this ministry that he was going to have and this platform he was going to have, and he kind of freaked out because of the pressure of what this thing was, uh, and he stepped away from it. And then someone else in our community actually kind of stepped into that role and, and became rather successful in it. And for years, my friend was absolutely crushed because he thought he had lost it, like the one thing that God had put him on this planet to do. You know, he happened to be like, 32 years and eight months and six days old or whatever. That was the moment God was going to call him to this thing, but he let it slip through his fingers, and now he's just done. 
You know, and a lot of times we think of our callings like that, like God is uh, distant and disinterested, and you're kind of this puppet on a string, and there's going to come this one moment, and if you don't take advantage of it, you're kind of done. But I think our calling is actually a lot more flexible and actually more beautiful than that. And I think our calling actually invites us to accept responsibility for the, the resources that God has given us to kind of put those things together and to see what they lead us into. So your calling is at the intersection of your story, personality, and gifts. So we have a universal purpose. Your calling within that purpose is made of the intersection. Where does the crossover between your story, your personality, and your gifts? And it's, it's really important to understand that your story, your personality, and your gifts, they do not define you. And a lot of times we think that they do. But when we think that those things define us, we begin to place our identity in things that are actually quite fluid. That your story is constantly shifting and changing. Your personality is constantly um, you know, evolving. And as you're owning a great understanding of who you are, you're beginning to change. Your gifts from moment to moment, season to season in your life are constantly changing. If we place our identity in those things, we find that we're constantly grasping to figure out who we are. But these things actually kind of sit on top of your true identity, which is that you are the beloved that you're defined by the love that God lavishes upon you. And that thing does not change. Your identity never, ever changes. And so your calling, your story, your personality, your gifts, all get to be these opportunities to see your identity play out in real time. And not only does it transform your understanding of who you are, but it begins to speak to why you've been called to this place and this time and what you've been called to do. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to talk through each one of these three things rather briefly, and we're going to take some moments to pause and to reflect and to ask the Lord uh, to give us some language that helps us walk towards our calling. You know, if we're called to be the, the, the our purpose is as the Spirit-led church, we need to do more than just sit and reflect, but actually open our lives up to the Lord and, and invite Him to show us what He sees there. And so uh, I'm going to talk about each one of them briefly, and then we'll have a moment for you just to dialogue with the Lord, and you can write things down on that uh, little piece of paper that was on your seat when you came in. So the first one, story. This is how I want to frame story specifically. Where were you when you met God? We talk about this quite frequently with testimony is the word that we see in Scripture. And all testimony means is tell us a story. Tell us a story about your life and what God's doing in it. And my least favorite kind of testimonies are the ones where it's really about what my day was like and God maybe possibly made a cameo. You know, I went to the grocery store and I forgot my list at home and then I was thinking about what I wanted to have for dinner tonight and da da da. And then I did this thing and I kind of said, hey God, could you do this thing? And then I kind of went on with my day. Those are like the worst kind of testimony. Because what we're inherently believing about God is it's, it's our story. We're just kind of meandering through history willy nilly and maybe this ambiguous ghost is going to show up every once in a while and say something or do something. But the best kind of testimonies are actually, here's how God is purposely moving through history, and every once in a while, we make a cameo in his story. And, and the more that we become aware of the story of God and what he's doing, the more we can actually participate in that and become these contributing members to the story unfolding throughout um, the human history. And so it's really key for us to understand our stories of where we were when we met God. And so in the story of the prodigal, we see the father describing this so beautifully. He says, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and is found. He kind of lays it out. There was like this, and then it was like that. Several years ago, um, I read this interview with Lil Wayne after he got out of prison, as you do, you know. And it was an absolutely fascinating read. I don't remember why he was in prison, um, but he was just talking about some of the things that he'd done. I think he'd gotten really into like ping pong or something over that year. But one of the things that he did was that he read the entire Bible from front to back, and he had never done that before. And when they asked him about his reflections on the Bible, this is what he said. You didn't think you were getting a Lil Wayne uh, quote today. You're welcome. This is Lil Wayne's response. It was deep. I like the parts where some character was once this, but he ended up being that. Like he'd be dissing Jesus, and then he ends up being a saint. That was cool. And I read that, and I was like, yeah, that's like exactly it. That's what the Bible is. It's a bunch of stories of people, and it's like they were like this, and then they met God, and now they're like that. And that's deep and cool. And, and I love that. If we can articulate that kind of thing in our particular stories, because what we see in the scriptures over and over again is that people are at different situations in their lives. There's some kind of dominant attitude, dominant storyline that's there before they meet God, and that God in his sensitivity and tenderness to our individual stories meets us with a very specific spirit that brings healing to that, that type of wound or brings hope to that kind of despair. And so if we can articulate our story about where we were when we met God, that I was like this, but then I was like that, it really helps us to begin to understand our calling. Maybe your life was dominated by abandonment. It's a story of abandonment. But when you met God, the specific spirit by which God met you was a spirit of acceptance. You see, maybe your life was all about having to fight to survive but God met you in a spirit of surrender and care. You see, when we're able to articulate the specific ways in which God has met us, it really gives us a deeper understanding of how particular and specific his callings are for us. And I believe that your primary calling is so often to the place that you once were. This is the ministry of empathy. That you, you see in other people, you see these other stories unfolding around you and you go, ah, yes, I actually know what that feels like. I actually know that story. And let me speak to you about how it's been playing out in my life because of who God is. And it's this very unique authority that you have to minister to somebody else that's in a similar story to the one that you yourself have lived out because it's an authority based on empathy. Now, you're not limited to only minister to people, to only love people that have the same story as you do, but it's so often the very first place that you begin. And it's difficult sometimes for some of us to frame it in this way because we didn't have this one major dynamic encounter with God and everything changed. In fact, so many of us, we grew up in church. I actually received an email uh, from a young lady in our community a couple of weeks ago when I had sort of mentioned this idea who said, you know, I have a hard time understanding who are the people that I'm called to because I didn't have this dramatic conversion experience. I grew up in church, my father was a pastor, I can't remember a time that I've never known Jesus. He's only become more vivid to me over time. And I said, I actually really resonate with that. That's my story. In fact, that's what I've recognized is one of the primary callings in my life. That my calling is to lifelong churchgoers who at some point in their story recognize that there's got to be something more. 
because I grew up in the church. My dad is a pastor. I knew all the words. The Bible had become so familiar to me, I couldn't read it anymore because I couldn't process it. It had become so rote. But there was something deep within me, this resonance of the Spirit that said, there's got to be something more here. And I want to actually affirm that in you. And I want to give you this spirit of discovery and exploration. And so, so much of the authority in my ministry has been recognizing in other people that story too, that they have grown up in church and there's something within them that says, I think there's more to it than this. I think there's more than what I've always taken for granted. So we're going to just pause here for a moment. I'm going to pray. And I just want you to invite the Lord. If, if, if you could distill your story down to, I was like this and then God met me with this spirit, and now I'm like this. We'll kind of see if that helps us out a little bit. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the diverse stories that are in this room, um, because with those diverse stories comes a greater understanding of your character, of, of how you operate, how you rescue us and redeem us, the spirit by which you meet each one of us. Um, but those diverse stories also speak to the diverse people that we're called to love because we recognize something in their story that resonates with us on a very deep level. So Holy Spirit, um, in this moment, would you just give each of us language to understand specifically how we were lost, but how we've been found, how we were dead, uh, but how uh, we have been made alive. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So you can continue uh, jotting things down as we're going along at your leisure, just as you feel like they come to you. Um, but we're going to move on. The second uh, intersection for understanding your calling is personality. How have you been crafted to be in the world? So what is personality? Personality is essentially the unique way that you think, feel, and act. And it's important to note there's a difference between your identity and your personality. Like I said, your personality is constantly evolving and growing and transforming, but your identity is always the same. And one of the ways that we talk about personality, it's essentially the mask that you wear that lays over top of your identity as the beloved. And so it's really fascinating uh, scientific debate and research whether or not our personalities are something that is woven into us, our DNA before we're born, or if it's something that we develop because of our environment. And I tend to think it's a little bit of both. 
that God has sown something into you in your mother's womb, and then as you stepped out into the world, first there's your mother, and then there's your father, then your friends, your family. As you continue to expand your understanding of the world, you develop these certain patterns of thinking and acting and feeling that largely helped you to survive in the world, largely helped you uh, to cope. And a lot of times, what our personalities are at their essence is a way to protect ourselves from being taken advantage of by the world that we begin to realize that there are a certain amount of resources, there's a certain amount of love to go around and whatever it might be, and we develop this way of being in the world that gets us what it is that we desire. Because a lot of times our personality is this actually this mask that covers over this basic sense of loss or the shame that we're not okay the way that we are and our desire to reconnect to love. And so a lot of times the journey of our personality is recognizing our childhood coping mechanisms need to be redeemed and reordered so that we can be healthy and whole human beings. And I love this idea of redemption. I think this is actually what the story of Noah's Ark is really about. It's that God wastes nothing, but he chooses to redeem everything. You know, we see that in the story of Noah, kind of at the end, God says, I'm never again just gonna scrap it all and start all over again. I'm actually going to do the much harder work of taking the raw elements, the raw essence of what's there, and I'm actually going to wash it and redeem it and give it this whole new value within my kingdom. And I believe it's the same way with our personalities, that when, when you open yourself up to the Lord, he doesn't erase who you are. He doesn't take away your personality traits and your little idiosyncrasies. He doesn't you know, scrap the ways that you think and you feel and you act, but he does transform them. He does align them into uh, the kingdom, uh, and they become these kingdom values. I think a really great uh, example is introversion and extroversion. And I've talked about this before. Um, those are words, those are ways that we process the world around us that bear the redemption of Jesus. And a lot of times we use our personality as an excuse for non-kingdom behaviors. And so if you're an introvert, it does not mean that you are called to hate people and sit in giant armchairs and stroke kittens. That is not what it means to be introverted. And if you're extroverted, that is not free license to be obnoxious and needy and constantly texting people and checking in on your ex on, you know, whatever, because you're afraid of whatever. You know what I mean? I'm just generalities. I'm not talking about anybody specific. <laughs> When we understand how we've been crafted, how we perceive the world, then we can bring those raw elements to the Lord and allow him to redeem them because we actually need kingdom-minded introverts and we need kingdom-minded extroverts. But we can't take for granted how we've been crafted and who we are. And I think that's really un important to understand because at its base, what our personality is, is number one, how you perceive the world, the input of information. What is it that you're looking for? How have you learned how to read other people? How have you learned to read situations and moments, whatever it is, all this input, and then your output. What's your motivation? What gets you up in the morning? Or what is it that prevents you from getting up in the morning? When we begin to understand the input and output because of our personalities, it opens us up to redemption from the Lord that he can begin to use those things for his glory because there are other people, not just in this room, 
not just in the city, but around the world, that need to experience that very specific way in which you reflect uh, the reality of who God is. Because the truth is that God, as revealed in Jesus, is both introverted and extroverted. That he is aggressive and serene. You know, we find all of our personalities wrapped up in their perfection in the image of God. And so we want to take a moment and talk about um, your personality, how you've been crafted, how do you perceive the world, uh, and then what may, motivates you uh, out of that. But what I want to do is challenge you know, some of you that have done work with personality typing systems, whether it's Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or whatever it might be, um, to kind of put aside the language of the system itself and talk about the thing that it's actually pointing you to, okay? I don't want you to put that you're, you know, you're a seven with a six wing or whatever. Like, what does that mean? Like, what is that actual personality talking about. But I think the biggest things we're talking about motivation is kind of learning how to be sensitive to our own spirit, because that's the biggest indicator of personality. What is it that makes your heart leap out of your chest? Those moments in your life, those stories you encounter where something on this deep level within you just resonates. You go, oh my goodness, yes, that's it. What are the things in life that make you so angry out of injustice that you can't not act? You have to do something. What are those moments in life where you just feel so whole and complete? It seems like everything makes sense for a second. When we can learn to be sensitive to those moments in our lives, they're actually indicators of what our personalities are. And then we can begin to see the diversity of personality within the kingdom. So for example, um, you know, six months into me being in the ministry, I asked the Lord, like, what's, how can I phrase my calling in life? And through prayer, I felt like the Lord said, your, your calling is to reconcile the heart and the mind. What it's seen so often in our generation is people that had a very strong intellectual faith. They had good doctrine, they had good understanding of the character and the will of God, but there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of action. It wasn't, it wasn't mobile, it wasn't planted anywhere, it wasn't actually doing anything. And on the other side, I saw a lot of people in our generation that had a lot of heart. They had a lot of passion and they wanted to go out and change the world, but they had no grounding that when they began to feel burnout, they had no sense of direction. And so part of my calling was to reconcile the heart and the mind, to bring those things together. And later on in life, as I started to do this work of understanding personality, gaining some language for it, I recognized that I'm what's called a peacemaker. That I see the world, the whole world, the way I input it is things being resolved and unresolved. Some people see right and wrong, I see resolved and unresolved. And so much of my life, for better or worse, is looking for the theory of everything. How can I synthesize all the information I'm gathering from the world and make this one big, unified, beautiful understanding of what's going on? And that has helped me understand my ministry and how I connect with people and how I lead this church and what I speak, that my primary calling there is because I'm a peacemaker. And there are really uh, unfortunate elements of that personality type that left unredeemed undo the things that I want most for the kingdom. When I begin to allow the Lord to bring healing and redemption, he kind of shifts my personality traits and they become part of his larger process of reconciling the world unto himself. So we'll take a moment and I just want you to write down um, some, some things about personality that come to you. 
Lord, I thank you that you know, in this room, there's so many ways of seeing the world. And Father, heaven forbid we think anybody, everybody sees the world the same way that we do. That's usually when we get in trouble. Um, but we all see the world so differently, and that's a gift. Uh, we all have different motivations, uh, different things that give us energy or take energy from us. Um, but those things, Lord, they speak to, to our calling. That's kind of the engine or the fuel behind why we're called to do what we do. So Spirit, speak to each one of us right now um, about our personalities, about how we've been crafted to be in the world and how that might speak to our calling. Yeah, Lord, I just want to thank you so much for your patience with us, that you see our salvation, our healing as this lifelong process, that you're not in a rush to try to fix us so that we're presentable to you, um, but that you want to help us and you want to equip us and you just want to make us healthier children um, so that we can help you uh, in, in redeeming the whole world. Uh, so Lord, bless our personalities teach us how to thrive in the specific ways in which we've been crafted. To story, personality, and finally, gifts. How has God specifically equipped you? And a lot of times we talk about spiritual gifts in our church community. We see a couple places in scripture these lists of supernatural spiritual gifts. And one of the ways that we talk about them is, you know, that there are certain gifts that God has woven into your DNA that are very much tied into your personality type. And there's these other gifts that God endows you with later on in life that might be kind of a surprise. Um, and they're all really valuable. I think that's kind of this ongoing understanding of God's redemption in our lives. But, you know, the gifts that God gives us, the way he's equipped us, isn't just found in the realm of spiritual gifts. There's also the gifts of resource, um, the things that God has given you for this finite point uh, of time that you're on the planet Earth. Um, there are the, the place to which you've been called and the time to which you've been called. That you, living in this city in this year, is not an accident, although sometimes you really wish it was. And you could just go back to whenever everything was much better, whenever that was. But to recognize it's actually a gift that you've been placed here at this time, at this moment in history, because there's maybe something specific that God wants to do through you in a way that he couldn't do it through you 50, 100, 150, 2,000 years ago. Um, what else are gifts? The relationships that we have in our, in our lives. 
our family, our friends, our coworkers, the people we go to school with, our neighbors, the people we, we sit with on the bus, all of these different relationships that we have are also gifts that God has granted us because of these opportunities to practice revealing and reflecting his love in any number of ways. And I think it's really important to recognize this. There's a difference between calling and vocation, okay? There's a big difference between the juice and the vessel, okay? And it's really important that we understand this. I do not believe personally that God calls you to go to a specific school, that God calls you to go to a specific place, although sometimes that happens. I do not believe that God calls you to a specific job. Because those things, are, they're vessels. They just hold the juice, but they're not the juice of your calling. And actually, when we believe that the vessel is the calling itself, it becomes an idol. If we believe that what we're, who we're called to be and what we're called to do in the world is dependent on this one specific scenario, and if that thing wasn't there, we're just done for, then we've actually reduced what our calling is. The calling has to be much larger than the vessel itself, that it can fit any number of shapes throughout your life. And so for me, I recognize my calling is not to be the pastor at City Beautiful Church Incorporated. That's not my calling. This is the vessel that contains my calling right now. But if it wasn't this, it'd just be something else. I could be a fisherman in Nova Scotia, and I would still be who I am. I would still choose to operate in the world that way that I do because there's this fire in my bones and I can't do anything else but that. I have these gifts of, of, of teaching and shepherding. I have the gift of wisdom, and I can't not exercise those things. Whether I was a fisherman or whether I was a pastor here or whatever it might be, that's just the vessel that holds my calling. And I think that kind of speaks to this bigger understanding of calling. It's like God gives us all this stuff. He co-authors these stories with us. He grants us this personality that he's constantly in the process of healing and reconciling. He gives us his gifts and he goes, okay, now what do you want to do with it? What do you want to do? And we're terrified of that because we're afraid of the responsibility of being good stewards with the inheritance that God's given us. Because we believe that if we get it wrong, God's gonna be angry with us. We're afraid if we miss that one moment, that one opportunity, if we don't say yes to the right thing, then we've missed it all. And what that reveals is less about what we think about ourselves, but what we think about our Father, and how he's gonna punish us if we don't do well with what he's given us. But I believe this is the beauty of free will that God gives us our stories and our personality and our gifts, and he goes, go nuts, be creative. Where do you think this is gonna take you? How do you think this is gonna help you to love people well, to reveal what I'm like, to advance the kingdom? And I think when that is our pursuit, we cannot fail. We can't get it wrong, because it's the pursuit of those things that actually delights him. And I think that kind of brings us back to this universal purpose to which we've all been called. Calling only makes sense in the context of God's larger story, what he's been up to this whole time. You don't have to make up the story. You don't have this, this starting point at ground zero and you look out into this nebulous future, this nebulous ether, and just wonder where it's going to take you. But you get to step back and see this whole story that's been 
um, unfolding itself since Genesis chapter 1 that finds its climax in Jesus is saying, this is what God's really like. And then seeing the work of Jesus through the people of God continually unfolding as it's rescuing and redeeming of the world. And then you get to say, ah, yes, my calling is placed into that story. That in a way, what each of us are doing is we're carrying the torch for the very significant time that we have on this planet before we pass it on to the next. And we get to lean in to the cloud of witnesses the saints that have come before us, the saints all around the world right now who have these same questions of calling and purpose. And we get to contribute to the larger thing that God has been doing. And that gives us confidence to know that the kingdom does not rest on our shoulders. It's going to advance whether we do it or not. So we may as well stop trying to earn our place in the kingdom and just recognize that we're already there and it's a joy to contribute to it. And so what I, I want to uh, transition us into worship here uh, with this really beautiful poem by Walt Whitman that I think speaks uh, so beautifully to both the questions that we have about our identity and our calling and purpose, um, but also what really matters. So I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to read this poem um, as a prayer, and I want it to to speak to that deepest part in you, the anxiety that you might feel in trying to discover your calling, in understanding the purpose to which we've all been called, to let this poem name that, but then also to speak to you uh, of what truly matters. This is O Me, O Life by Walt Whitman. O Me, O Life, of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, of myself forever reproaching myself, for who more foolish than I and who more faithless, of eyes that vainly crave the light, of the objects mean, of the struggle air renewed, of the poor results of all, of the plodding and sordid crowds I see around me, of the empty and useless years of the rest, with the rest me intertwined, the question, O oh me, so sad recurring, what good amid these, O oh me, O oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists, an identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. Heavenly Father, we thank you to the purpose that you've called each one of us, that you've gifted us in so many ways, that you're constantly working with us to help us to, to work from the inside to the outside what is true about who we are. May we be good stewards of the stories, the personalities, and the gifts that you've granted us that we might find our place in the larger chorus of what you've been up to this whole time, and that we too might care for your estate, for your household, for your creation. We pray all of these things in the strong name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.